0: Welcome, thank you all for joining me today for this roundtable discussion. My name is Laura Viglione. I am the communications specialist at Kessler Foundation. I'm here today with doctors Nancy Chevrolotti, Denise Kirk, Fabiola Garcia, and Yolanda Higueres to discuss their collaborative work in rehabilitation research at Kessler Foundation. So we'll start off with a quick introduction
1: I'm Nancy Chervelati. I am the Director of Neuropsychology, Neuroscience, and Traumatic Brain Injury Research at Kessler Foundation.
2: And I've been here for over 15 years. My name is Denise Kirk, and I'm a research scientist in the Traumatic Brain Injury Laboratory at Kessler Foundation. And my work focuses on a couple different areas, in particular, using virtual reality as a tool to evaluate and treat cognitive impairments after brain injury, as well as cultural disparities and cultural adaptations to cognitive rehabilitation treatments.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me for be here. Uh, my name is Fabiola Garcia, and I am a fully certified neuropsychologist in Spain. I work for the University Complutense of Madrid for 15 years now, and I am also combining uh, research plus, clinic, plus plus clinic practice. I work in a hospital in Madrid, Hospital La Princesa, in the unit of multiple sclerosis. And, well, even I have other research uh, interest. Uh, in the last uh, stage of, of the, my career, I mainly focus on multiple sclerosis, a plus for other neurodegenerative and neurodevelopmental disorders.
4: My name is Yolanda Higueras, um, I'm neuropsychologist, PhD in psychology, uh, and nowadays I, I'm working, well, I've been working in a hospital in Gregorio Marañón uh, in Madrid uh, for quite a while, almost 15 years, And but recently, the last five, six years, I've been working in the MS unit, multiple sclerosis unit of neurology department, uh, in collaboration with uh, all my colleagues there, and I'm also uh, teaching assistant at University, Complutense University School of Psychology.
0: We are glad to have you. Um, So I guess we'll just start off with how Denise and Nancy came to collaborate with Yolanda and Fabiola.
2: I was invited to give a presentation at the Ibero-American Congress of Neuropsychology in Almeria, Spain in May. During that talk, I discussed the memory treatments that we have been working on in our laboratory over the past 15 years. And one of those treatments was about the modified story memory technique, which is a strategy-based treatment that we have evaluated the efficacy of in our laboratory in different populations, including multiple sclerosis and traumatic brain injury.
1: The modified story memory technique was initially developed in English. It was, the, the basis of the treatment was actually developed in the 1980s and it was a much longer, much more general treatment paradigm that when I was a postdoc here at Kessler, I narrowed down and focused in on exactly what the deficits were in MS and I modified the treatment to treat those deficits. So we started with an initial pilot study back in 1999 or 2000, which was successful. Then we modified the treatment again based on our results. We did another larger clinical trial also in multiple sclerosis, and that was also successful. And then the, the treatment grew from there. The interest in the treatment grew from there. And here we are today with multiple translations and our Spanish colleagues very interested in being able to apply it in, in their settings.
2: The first treatment, actually, uh, the, the first um, study that we adapted to Spanish was when I started as a postdoctoral fellow about eight, nine years ago, and Dr. Charavelati had already had this treatment in ongoing in different clinical trials, and I had interest in adapting it to, uh, to Spanish. So we were fortunate enough at the time that we were able to receive some funding from NIDLer to translate and adapt that protocol into Spanish. And we worked with a fabulous company named Facet. And I worked in close conjunction with them, translating and adapting that protocol into Spanish. The protocol is adapted into more of an international type Spanish. But based on the Hispanic population in the U.S., that means largely people with countries of origin from Mexico or South or Latin America. And so as a result, we have a really great intervention in Spanish, but it's not necessarily adapted to the Spain population, which is how Yolanda and Fabiola and I got to talking about perhaps adapting it to Spain culture. Mm
3: -hmm. There are big differences between the Spanish that you speak here in the USA and the Spanish from Spain. So we have been working uh, in not only in the language but also in the grammatical structures and the things that culturally make sense. One of the things that is important is that for example here in the USA, uh, you are very used to uh, use the passive subject, what in Spain it's much in Spain is much more difficult to understand. But we also use much more reflexive births when we are trying to explain ourselves we think that is like uh, if I comp myself it doesn't I don't know if it makes a lot of sense here but it makes a lot of sense in Spanish so we we are working in that uh, in that field I mean that kind of adaptation but not only that we also work adapting some other words
4: yes um, mostly the problems that we saw in this translation were Related with the structure as Fabiola said, but there were also some words that didn't make a lot of sense because the Latin American used to be Quite literal when they're using the Spanish language. And for example uh, Just to give you an example. They were using the word school um, and referring to a a lot of different um, levels of education uh, meaning that it can be in Spanish the word school is more related with the school children's school so you wouldn't ask an adult about school, you would ask an adult about university or college or those kind of things. So that specific word really uh, has to be adapted to Spanish from Spain for some more general words that we're using. So that those, four, those two examples are mainly the focus of our work adapting the Spanish text that uh, Denise gave us already.
0: Right. And so I know you started here. How long have you guys been here so far?
3: Well, uh, it's been a short uh, uh, visit, uh, <laughs> I, I have been here for, this is my fourth week, mm-hmm. and we are almost finishing, and my colleague is for three, what you want to know? So, I'm lacking one week. Yeah, but I think we, we think that this is good enough to start this common work, mm-hmm. but well, it, it's, we are trying to, to do the best use of the time that sure. we are here.
0: Absolutely. It's a stepping stone. Hmm. And so, Nancy, what other countries have the adaptations of the treatment? Are there you know, other translations?
1: The treatment was originally written in English. It was translated to Spanish. And then the next step, for the next step, we translated it to Mandarin. That has not been used yet, but it does exist. Oh. We are in the process of, it is translated to Italian, but it hasn't yet been, the computer program hasn't yet been finalized. So we're at that stage because there's a computer program that goes along with the instruction manual and all the verbal stimuli. Mm -hmm. And then we have a couple of translations that we are hoping will be ensuing in the coming year or so, which includes Arabic as well as French. But these are all translations. This is, the Spanish has really been the only one that has been appropriately adapted for the different Spanish cultures. And as you right. have heard, that's really important for the patient to be able to actually understand exactly what they're engaging in, and that will maximize the benefit that they get from the
0: treatment. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, what research has been conducted with the English MSMT and in what populations? The
1: first study was conducted in multiple sclerosis, that was a pilot study. Mm-hmm. The next study was repeated in multiple sclerosis with a much larger sample. So it was a large clinical trial that demonstrated efficacy. The efficacy was also demonstrated at that time, not only in behavioral functioning. So we knew that by behavioral functioning, I mean that people were able to learn and remember more information after treatment than before treatment. But we were also able to show changes in the patterns of cerebral networks following treatment, So what I mean by that is that we were able to get an understanding of how the brain was actually learning and remembering information before treatment and after treatment. And what we showed was that before treatment, people were using specific regions of the brain to learn and remember information, and after treatment they were using additional regions that utilized context and imagery. So we know that the ingredients of the treatment – were activating the brain regions that we would theoretically expect them to activate. And then we also showed in MS that people were experiencing an improvement in their everyday life. So they were saying that they were having less memory abil- memory difficulties that were Im- negatively impacting their daily life functioning. The next study was in traumatic brain injury, where we also did a large randomized clinical trial. And we sh- also showed behavioral changes. So we, were, we showed that they were able to learn and remember new information. And we showed everyday life changes as well as improvements in the way the brain was processing and learning and remembering information. So we were able to see changes at all three of those levels in traumatic brain injury as well. And then we have ongoing studies in other populations, but that's the data that we have to date.
0: You just spoke about the ongoing research projects. I am familiar a bit with the pediatrics that the... the. um the protocol is being implemented and is there can you expand on that?
1: Sure for pediatrics is a very special population because they're developing skills so we have to target the treatment so that they can learn and understand exactly what we need them to understand so the first step in the pediatric adaptation was to take the program and go through the treatment protocol word for word and make sure that the vocabulary as well as the concepts were age appropriate. So we chose a population of ages nine through 17. We Several of us went through the protocol itself and we modified it to suit that population. Then we tested that on healthy children between the ages of nine and 17. There were 10 of them and they all went through the treatment protocol and we asked them for feedback on the stories themselves, on the topics, was it interesting was it understandable was it relevant to their lives and then after that we modified it again and at this point what we're doing is we're testing the treatment on children who have a traumatic brain injury of various severities so we're in the process of doing that trial right now and that's funded by the new jersey commission on brain injury research it's
0: very interesting, and so- I know we just spoke about pediatrics, but it's also being applied in spinal cord injury populations as well as aging. Mm -hmm. Could you also speak a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Those were somewhat unique populations to be working with, particularly in regard to a memory treatment protocol. So individuals, I'll start with spinal cord injury. Individuals with spinal cord injury do experience cognitive deficits We're really just beginning to shed light on exactly what those cognitive deficits are now. So we've been focusing a lot of our research in on spinal cord injury and what's happening in terms of their cognition. We have identified that there are patients who have spinal cord injury who are having learning and memory problems. It's not all of them, but some people are affected by it. So what we are trying to do to address that problem is a small clinical trial where patients who have a learning and memory problem who have a spinal cord injury are given the treatment and then we're testing the treatment before and after. We're testing the treatment with um, behavioral measures, measures of learning and memory before and after treatment. So that's also we're in the I don't have any data to share because we're in the middle of the trial. Mm-hmm. The other population that we are looking into now is an aging population. And this is obviously when people age, memory is a huge concern and that's across every culture, across the world. So one of the things that occurred to us is if we're able to treat memory deficits effectively in persons who have multiple sclerosis and persons who have traumatic brain injury, we have this huge population of folks that are aging and having memory issues, can we also help them in terms of increasing their ability to learn and remember information? So the clinical trial we're conducting now is will be a 40 person trial. Patients are randomized to either a treatment group or a control group. So if half of the people get treatment and half do not. And then we do a assessment before and after treatment to try to evaluate the effects of the treatment in this healthy population that just happens to be getting older. So there's a common denominator in many of the treatment paradigms that we've been developing, and that is strategy training. There's a great deal of literature out there demonstrating that if people use strategies to help them learn and remember information, they learn and remember information better. And that includes healthy individuals of all ages, children through adults, as well as patient populations. Work at Kessler Foundation has provided a lot of that data on patient populations. So the story memory technique utilizes two memory strategies. It utilizes context and it utilizes imagery. Other treatment protocols that we've developed at Kessler Foundation also use strategies, but they use different strategies. So the self-gen protocol is a treatment paradigm where patients are taught to use self-generation to learn and remember new information. Self-generation is the idea that if you generate your own information to be remembered, you'll remember that better than if I tell you, here, remember this. It's very well demonstrated across populations, and what we've done is we've taken that and we've adapted it to teach patients how to use it in their daily life. So that's the self-gen treatment paradigm. The other treatment paradigm that we've developed here recently is STEM, and that means strategy-based treatment techniques to enhance memory. That is a treatment protocol that encompasses three different strategies. One is self-generation, which is what I was speaking of just a minute ago in the self-gen treatment paradigm. Another is self-testing, which is where when we... Instead of learning information, repeating information over and over again that you have to remember, you go back and you test yourself on that information. So, children may be taught to do this when they're studying in school. Instead of just reading something over and over again, ask yourself questions. And that's like the index card method that we utilize in education. And then, another strategy we teach is spaced learning space learning is actually, we all know the benefits of space learning because we're constantly telling our students and our children not to cram for an exam the night before. We know that when we space learning out over a period of time, we learn that information better and we remember it better later. There's so much data out there to show that. We still choose to ignore it because it's easier to study the night before an exam than to plan in advance. But what we're trying to do within this treatment paradigm is teach people who have these neurological problems to learn and remember information better using these strategies, and that's the third strategy in that protocol.
0: And now, Denise, can you talk a little bit about why or how you come to determine that the self-gen pilot study would be appropriate for the, the MCI population?
2: Sure. We considered the different options available to us, STEM, the modified story memory technique, and self-generation. And of those techniques, they're all strategy-based techniques, but of those techniques, in particular, the modified story memory technique requires an individual to use what we call executive some executive functions in particular organizations so it requires the individual to be exposed to information or material and then to be able to organize that material themselves to help them remember it later so in different patient populations there's different profiles of of cognitive impairments that one might have and for example in traumatic brain injury executive functions are are fairly common. So that sort of strategy that utilizes then, that depends upon skills that need to be intact in order to be successful using the strategy might be a little bit more challenging than techniques that otherwise wouldn't require you to use those strategies. So for example, self-generation is one technique that does not require a lot of emphasis on Organization and it also, in particular, Yel Govrover, who developed the, the manual and the treatment protocol, she, in, within that protocol, there's not just an emphasis on utilization of the self generation technique, but there's also an emphasis on what we call metacognitive strategies. So, that is really the idea of creating awareness and helping the person dive a little bit more deeply into the strategy and helping them understand when they're encountering a situation where they might need to remember something, what strategy they might need to use, and then how to apply that technique. For a technique, for example, like STEM that integrates several strategy-based techniques, that requires what we call more higher level function, more organization ability, and more awareness that requires that all to be intact and not necessarily be taught as part of the treatment protocol. So in a situation where a person was faced with needing to recall some information, they would need to know... how to recall the information, they would need to think about all the different strategies they would learn, and then they would need to select which one of the strategies they think would be best for that particular scenario, and then they need to impose that technique on the material to remember it later. So that metacognition kind of already has to be there present with the person. So when selecting which of these techniques to use based on the patient population, you look at overall the pattern of cognitive difficulties that that patient population might have, and in Particular with MCI, we felt that starting off with self generation technique might be the best approach because we're not requiring a lot of that metacognition to be present. This is going to be a first step, however, and um, although uh, Carlos, uh, my colleague's um, graduate student, is going to be starting out with self gen, her her name, uh, her his graduate student's name is Hany Melissa Rosco Ospino. She's going to be uh, doing her graduate project on that. They might move on from that project. So, for example, if self-generation is a very effective technique, we might then up the ante and try a little bit uh, higher level approach and maybe perhaps use something like the modified story memory technique. And then maybe later down the line, consider STEM. Thank you.
0: And so... The last question of the day will be for Nancy. What is the long-term vision for MSMT, uh, the protocol in terms of the English protocols, um, validating it across patient populations, um, and then the same for the other strategy-based protocols, uh, as well as funding?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) I think one of the... Major areas of focus right now is being able to obtain the funding to develop a telerehabilitation version of the story memory technique. We're in a great position in New Jersey because it's pretty easy to get around. We have a lot of public transportation available to us. However, it is more difficult for people who have disabilities, so it's hard for them to get to the clinic for repeated office visits, and it's a 10-session treatment paradigm. In addition to that, if you go into the more rural communities in maybe some of the Midwestern states in the United States or in other countries, it's very, very difficult and can take hours for people to get to clinics to be able to engage in treatment. So a 10-session treatment paradigm is just not practical. So one of the major areas of emphasis in the coming years will be trying to develop an effective way to deliver the treatment via telerehabilitation that will likely be done over computer. In addition to that, we we have many translations right now. The only one that's really been validated or preliminarily var- validated is the one in Spanish. We have to do more validation work there, but we also have to take all of these other translations and we have to validate them. So we would be looking for collaborators who would be willing to do these validations in their countries working with us um, and then in addition we'd like to translate it to other languages so that we can it can impact more people across the world
2: sure. one additional point that i'd like to make with respect to the tele is not only is it critical for Getting the treatment to people who are in rural communities, but some of the challenges uh, that are associated with these rural communities are not just the ability to get to the clinic, but perhaps the the cost associated, and and that's a particular issue when we're collaborating um, with with colleagues from other countries where the financial resources aren't as um, aren't as as good as they are in the U.S. And uh, I know for a fact that some of my collaborators in um, Mexico have uh, participants that are, do not get reimbursed for the cost of participation studies like we do here, and like we're able to offer our participants here. And not only that, but some of them maybe live quite rurally and spend two to three hours one way to reach the clinic for a single one-hour treatment session and return home. So it's it's a tremendous barrier, and the ability to offer a tele rehab. Option is going to have really wide reaching impact.
0: Yes absolutely Well, I want to thank you ladies for coming today and having this conversation with me about the collaborative research that you have been um, that ha- have been partaking in the past month. Um, if you guys would like to
4: add anything else I just want to add my my deepest um, thank you to all of you here because. For us is a, a very nice opportunity and we are very happy to help in, in, in whatever is in our power. So we hope that this is the first step for more. Thank you.
3: Yeah, Totally to with that, I also thank want to thank to, to Denise and to Nancy and everyone here because it's been a, I mean, a warm way. It's difficult for me to explain this in English, but we have been like very wor- well, warm welcoming and we think that this project is going to is the beginning of f- next steps that are going to be very, very good. And, well, I don't know if Denise would like to explain that, but we also, in this pilot studies that we want to conduct in Spain, we will also like later to look for some funding so we can go on collaborating. I mean, the, the next target is a, to look for a, for a grant and for some funding. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is not the, in the very beginning, but that will come later. Uh, so we are very happy about also having this target in <laughs> in our near future. <laughs> it hasn't
1: yeah. been a busy yeah. starting point. Yeah, that's <laughs> the yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, and I actually wanted to thank both of you for not only for your enthusiasm on the project because I'm so excited that you're so enthusiastic and so eager to collaborate, but also for giving up your time and spending it here with us for the last several weeks. We've really enjoyed having you and it's really exciting to be able to to know that we're sending the work that we've worked so hard on back with you to really impact patient care. So thank you so much.
2: I was very excited because when I was now Maria, after the talk I gave, they both approached me, Fabiola and Yolanda, and they were so excited because, well, apparently my talk was, I think, one of the only, if not the only, that touched upon MS research, and of that, was, of course, their, their area of interest, and uh, we we got talking, and we hit it off right away, and uh, before we knew it, I mean, that was in May, and they were here by July, so <laughs> their enthusiasm helped move this forward, so I'm glad you guys are here and it will be the beginning of, of lots of good collaboration together.
0: Well, this exemplifies the
2: power of,
0: of um, collaboration and, and connections. So thank you again for, for this discussion today and more information will be provided um, below this podcast on uh, how to enroll in a, re- in a research study um, as well as some contact information for Fabiola, uh, Yolanda, Denise, and Nancy. Thank you for more information about kessler foundation and our researchers go to kesslerfoundation.org that's k-e-s-s-l-e-r-f-o-u-n-d-a-t-i-o-n.org like us on facebook follow us on instagram listen to us on soundcloud and tweet with us on twitter